Today we're talking about what a win against BYU would mean for Dan Lanning and this Oregon football team in 2022. And to start it off, I've got a trivia question for all of you, and the answer is going to be a little bit surprising. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin, D1 play-by-play broadcaster and lifelong Oregon Ducks fan. Thank you for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. Like, comment, and subscribe, please, wherever you are listening to or watching this show. Big thank you to everybody out there who has done so already and recently got us to 1,000 subscriptions on the YouTube channel. So, we're starting today off with a trivia question that I am going to give you the answer to. I'll just give you, you know, maybe five seconds or so. I, I should have I should have queued up the Jeopardy music, frankly. I'm a big Jeopardy fan. But here is the uh, here's the trivia question of the day for all of you Duck fans out there. BYU is coming to Oregon this week in Eugene at Autzen Stadium, ranked in the top 25. Who was the last non-conference opponent to come into Autzen Stadium? ranked in the top 25 when the two teams met. Do, 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 do. All right, that's enough time thinking about it. The answer is 2014 when Oregon welcomed Michigan State as part of a home-and-home in 2014, and then we went to East Lansing in 2015 as well. And the Spartans are up in Seattle this week to take on the Huskies in a big game across the Pac-12. But... That's the sort of opportunity that's here and how rare it is, frankly, that in the non-conference slate, not that we're playing a good team, that happens all the time, but that they're coming to Watson Stadium. It's been a tough thing to do to get teams to come and play. And Oregon's won 20 consecutive games there, third longest streak in the country, so it's not that hard to see why. But... If Oregon can get this win, I think you'd have a lot of good things. Obviously, the win itself would keep Oregon in the top 25. A loss will drop us uh, back out of it. I was kind of surprised the Ducks are in the top 25 after uh, drubbing Eastern Washington. But a win in this game was going to determine whether or not we'd be ranked going into Pac-12 play regardless. So it would be our first ranked non-conference win at Autzen since 2014, which was the last time such an opponent came in. That was a top 10 showdown at the time, if, if memory serves. Michigan State might have been ranked 11th. I think it was like 6th, 11th. I'd have to go back and look. But both teams were uh, at least in a top 15. But if Oregon's able to win this game, I think the biggest thing that would happen for the team and for Dan Lanning and the staff, it'd help you forget the nightmare that was week one against Georgia. Right. I mean, it would be two weeks in the past and you'd be focusing on a win that's that's taking place right here, right now. And, and against a really good football team that won 10 games a year ago, just beat number nine Baylor down in Provo in, in a great game and has high aspirations like this is a really good football team. They were undefeated against the Pac-12 last year. They have a five game winning streak because they were five and oh last year. Heck, it might even date back to the year before against teams in the Conference of Champions. So this is not uh, your typical independent team that is, you know, just okay and can maybe pull an upset here or there. Like, this is a really good team. And frankly, even though it's being played at Autzen, well, I think because it's played at Autzen, it's the only reason the Ducks are favored right now. And it looks like the line is going to stay that way at like three to four, three and a half was what it was at last time I checked it on uh, Bet Online, But 
I think you'd be able to forget the Georgia game pretty easily and write it off as, you know, what we were saying at the time, which is that, look, Georgia's a much better team. First game with the new staff, new quarterback, new offense and such. First time play caller in Kenny Dillingham. You could write that off a lot more easily. You wouldn't be able to forget it entirely, but it would be a lot easier to swallow as the season goes on if you win this game. And that's the first ramification that would come to it. Secondly, I think, and these two points kind of go together, I'd feel more confident about Oregon's chances of getting to the Pac-12 championship game this year, which even with a first-year staff, it is what I'm setting as the, the barometer for success, right? Whether the Ducks do it at 9-3, and 8-4, and 10-2, don't don't really care, but with the schedule that the Ducks have, which in conference play becomes very favorable, right? No USC and uh, no Arizona State as well, and we've had trouble with them before, as we remember from 2019, and we've only got four conference road games, and those are Oregon State, which will be really tough, Washington State, which will be tough, but then the other two, Arizona and Colorado, a little bit easier, but don't sleep on the Wildcats as well. So I, I think that the path is set up pretty well with the, the talent that is on the roster for Oregon to expect to be able to get there. And if they win this game, I think you just have so much more confidence going into your, your conference opener the following week against Washington State, a team that is feeling really good about themselves and is going to be undefeated when we play them up in Pullman in what will be a really big game and, and a really tough game too. But I think that what we're going to see this week, win or lose, is a barometer for what to expect the rest of the season. Because coming in, my expectations were 9-3 and three to 10-2. and two, And you get back to the Pac-12 championship game and making a prediction at that point in time against an opponent that is unknown, that was probably going to be Utah. But we, again, we don't know. Could be USC. Who knows? It's hard to do all of that. So I think that's something we just kind of assess if and hopefully when it, it comes to pass. But I think that this is going to be an indication, you know, if Oregon loses this game tight on a last second field goal, I don't think that spells doom and disaster for the rest of the season because you can still get to the Pac-12 championship game. But if Oregon comes out, loses this game by 10 or more points at home, that's going to give me a lot of doubt about how this year could potentially play out because there's no excuse like what, I mean, there's no excuse for what happened against Georgia, really. There is con the context of Georgia has better players and a staff that's been been there for a while and just won a national championship and they're probably the best team in the country right now. That's how you look at a 49-3 blowout and say, look, season's not over just because of how this game went. But if Oregon comes out in this game, loses by double digits at home, that would be a red flag for this year, right? I wouldn't be raising the alarm. I'll never raise the alarm on a, a first a first year head coach and a first-year staff and whatnot, because everyone should be given time to, you know, reach their their ceiling and such. But for this particular season, if Oregon does not look good, you've had two games already. You had a confidence booster against Eastern Washington. You got your teeth kicked in against Georgia, but it was still an opportunity to get on the field, put together a game plan, have reps and whatnot. There's no excuse in that sense of, you know, oh, it's early season. They're working stuff out. Yeah, maybe they'll be better in some areas by the end of the season, but it's far enough in. This is week three. Like you have to be able to play good enough football to to be able to win this game or at least compete in in this particular game. And whatever happens as well, just a message to all of you out there in Oregon, home crowd's got to bring it. BYU beat uh, then ninth-ranked Baylor uh, a week ago in Provo. If that game is played in Waco, 
BYU does not win the game. They won because they were at home. Baylor had a chance to score in overtime, but they had a couple of false start penalties because of the crowd. Their kicker missed an attempt, a number of attempts. He missed a PAT as well. All of that is because of the crowd. This has to be the sort of Autzen crowd that showed up in 2018 when Oregon knocked off then seventh-ranked Washington. It, it needs to be at that level and give the Ducks every advantage that they possibly can. So if you're thinking about going to the game, you got to go. That place needs to be a sellout, and it needs to be a factor all throughout the game because BYU had that on their side in a big, big way the previous week. And to have the exact opposite the next week, I think can rattle college kids, even though some of these BYU guys are like 27 years old. Um, <laughs> I don't know how old they actually are, but uh, a lot of them are, are pretty old. Um, we'll get to the actual matchup itself and what Baylor was not able to do against BYU last week and what the Cougars showed in their victory against the Bears. After I remind you about Bet Online, the number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs this sports season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this upcoming week's games. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and my personal favorite. Golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. So last week against BYU, they were without a couple of receivers, one of whom is a familiar name for some Duck fans, perhaps Puka Nakua, former Washington player, goes down to BYU. He's not the first Pac-12 player, as I'll talk about, to leave the Conference of Champions and go play for the Cougars, a future Big 12 team. But last week, Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney, their top two expected leading receivers, were were out. And their quarterback, Jaron Hall, who I'm definitely going to get to on uh, the show today, was you know someone who was having to, to pick up the slack in that sense. And look, the offense wasn't amazing. The defense was pretty darn good. But they're also going up against a Baylor defense that, based on what I've seen, is much better than what Oregon's got right now. Just is. Doesn't mean they're necessarily more talented, but they're more experienced. They they have coaching continuity. I think they're better up front than the Ducks right now. Oregon's probably got a, two of the three of the most talented defensive players between the two. But up front, back end of the secondary, Baylor is much better than, than Oregon right now. And that's part of the reason that, that BYU struggled offensively a week ago. But uh, their, their true freshman, Chase Roberts, stepped up for him last week without uh, Gunnar Romney or Puka Nakua. And by the way, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about this because um, I don't know how many of you watched the show New Girl, but great show. It's on Netflix. There's a scene where Schmidt pretends to be a member of the Romney family. So when I saw Gunnar Romney, I thought, boy... I wonder if he has a brother named Tug Romney, because <laughs> if you watch the show, you remember that. Anyway, that's that's enough there. But um, it's a great show. BYU had, had 26 points in two overtimes a week ago at home, which I think says more about Baylor's defense than it does BYU's offense. Because the week before, they play a team from the American Conference in South Florida, and they exploded for over 500 yards of offense and 50-plus points, and you know they, they blew them out on the road, as a matter of fact. And I, I think that the other thing that Oregon has to be able to do in this game, in addition to to Jaron Hall, who I'm about to talk about, 
is slow down the running game the way Baylor did. And I, I just, I don't know if Oregon can do that. And what we will see philosophically is a team in BYU that wants to run the ball more than Eastern Washington and Georgia wanted to. The Bulldogs ran it, but neither team reached 30 carries. And BYU's had 30 more carries in each of their first two games here in this 2022 season. Now, a week ago, they ran for just 83 yards as a team on two and a half yards a carry. If you told me right here, right now, that Oregon holds BYU to under 100 100 rushing yards, I'd say there's a really good chance they win the game. I also don't think there's a very good chance that that happens. And this may be the first game where we feel the loss of Popo Amavai for the season more prominently than in in either of the previous two games. Because Georgia probably wasn't going to matter, and Eastern Washington, for a different reason, also was probably not going to matter a ton. But this is one where I, I'm kind of lamenting the fact, not lamenting, that's the wrong word to use. I'm dreading the fact that Oregon is going to have to play without Popo there in the middle because he's a run stuffer first. And if BYU starts to be able to run the ball and have that as a real threat for Oregon's defense, it's going to be really tough on the back end to slow down Jaron Hall. Because this guy, if you haven't watched him play, he's impressive. He's really, really impressive. By the way, the running back who's going to be next to him is Christopher Brooks. You may remember him from Cal a year ago a team that was hanging around with Oregon for longer than they should have, but he's run the ball effectively in Autzen Stadium before, so the crowd probably not going to be too much of a factor for him personally because he's played in it before and he's played a lot of football. But Jaron Hall is also a guy who's played a good amount of football. And when I watch him, I'm really impressed. That is an NFL-caliber quarterback. I don't know if he's a first-rounder. I haven't done a deep dive like that. I'm also not an NFL scout, so I'll I'll leave that to them. But when you watch this guy sling the football – Gives me a little bit of uh, Justin Herbert vibes. I don't think he's quite the prospect, but both are big physical athletes. Got a big arm, really easy motion. When the ball comes out, he's zipping it and slinging it all over the field. And he's doing it kind of with the greatest of ease. And, you know, he he's a guy that if you just let him sit back there and and slice and dice you, doesn't really matter who his receivers are and whether or not he's got Puka Nakua and Gunnar Romney, who I believe is a distant relative of uh, Senator Mitt Romney, for those of you who are curious. But whether he has those two guys or not, if he's sitting back there with five, six seconds to throw, guys are going to come open or he's just going to make a play with his legs. And Oregon, you can't let them run all over you. But, you know, BYU struggled to run the ball against Baylor. But the week before against South Florida, who's, you know, kind of a middle to bottom tier in the American Conference, which is, you know, a respectable group of five, but they're not that good of a team, really. They had 8.4 yards per carry, and they ran for over 300 yards. And Kalani Sitaki, their head coach, who was getting tossed around, you know, every now and then when Oregon was looking for a new head coach this past offseason, He's a defensive head coach, and those sorts of guys who come from that side of the ball, as he does, typically want to run the football first. Doesn't mean they abandon the pass, but running the ball, like they only ran for two and a half yards of carry, but they had over 30 carries as a team. Some coaches, like Mike Leach, for instance, or heck, I think even Lincoln Riley would, if the team was running the ball at less than three yards a carry, they just abandon the run and say, let's just throw it, right? And Mike Leach is not throwing the ball a ton anyway. But there are coaches who philosophically think that way. And that's not what Sataki is as a head coach because most defensive coaches, 
you know, defense is about physicality, and, and you set that sort of tone by running the ball on, on offense. I know this very well as a Seattle Seahawks fan who somehow won a football game on Monday night. I have no idea how. Absolutely none. Don't ask me what happened there. But Pete Carroll has always wanted to run the football. Every defensively-minded head coach, the team has a heavy emphasis on running the football. Doesn't mean they don't throw it, right? There, there are little nuances there, but Nick Saban, great example. They, they sling it around a good amount with Bryce Young, but even when they weren't running the ball well against Texas this last weekend, they still wanted to try and establish the run and find some semblance of a rushing attack. So I think what you're going to have here is a situation where Noah Sewell, who I talked about over the weekend, might need to step up. He also might need to step up extra because Justin Flo might be hurt again. We don't really know. It's kind of a bummer. That's going to be the final segment of uh, the show today or kind of some, some injury updates. But Noah Sewell and company are going to have to be active in working to stop the run and to slow it down because you're not going to see a team that will just abandon it and then exclusively go to the air. They want to run the football. They've got a good offensive line. Kingsley Suamatia is their former Oregon high four-star recruit who was in Eugene, I think, for less than six months, then went back home. I think he's from the Orem, Utah area maybe, but went to uh, BYU. He's going to be their starting right tackle, and it's a team that's capable of running the ball well. you got a power five type running back in in Christopher Brooks. The other stat to watch here for for Oregon's defense, in addition to how they can slow the run down to help the pass defense a little, is third down. Because that's something Baylor did exceptionally well last week. And this concerns me because Baylor held BYU's offense in check. If you keep BYU as Oregon under 24 points through four quarters, I think the Ducks have a really good chance to win. I don't know if they can do that because I don't know if we can get pressure on Jaron Hall and I don't know if we can get off the field on third down. And Baylor held BYU to three of 14 last week on third down. And that is why they didn't go bananas and score a bunch of points. But make no mistake, this offense is very, very capable of doing that. One reason the offense is capable of scoring a bunch of points is the quarterback Jaron Hall. Like, yes, they want to run the ball, but I think when you watch him play, Kalani Sitaki and their offensive coordinator, I don't remember his name, but they want to have a relatively balanced approach to, to how they play offense. They're not going to run under center really any, if at all. They're going to be in the shotgun a lot. They're going to spread you out, but it doesn't mean they don't want to be physical. But Jaron Hall, one thing that impresses me, especially in that Baylor game last week, is he stands in the pocket. Number one, he looks like a quarterback. Just stereotypically, you look at the guy, you go, yeah, he plays quarterback, right? If he was just standing there next to five other random skill position guys on the offensive side, you go, that dude is a quarterback. And when he stands in the pocket, he has a poise, confidence, and presence about him that is really impressive to me. And when pressure is bearing down on him, when it was last week, he stood in there and he delivered throws. And that is a really rare thing to see. Maybe it's because he's older and has been around for such a long time. That's a part of it. Whatever the case may be, it's a really impressive thing to see from a college quarterback for me when the pocket starts to kind of condense down. And rather than your eyes dropping and you look to break contain to buy time, you stand in there, give it that extra second and trust that you can make a throw. And part of the reason he can do that is his arm is an NFL caliber arm. I'm not a scout, like I said, 
but I know an NFL arm when I see one. And that is definitely it. Whether he's got everything else, I'll leave that to the scouting community. But he he's big. He's mobile. He can break contain. But I never sensed when I watched him play last week against Baylor that he broke contain early in the pocket or he moved when he didn't have to or that he was ever anxious standing in there waiting to deliver a throw. And that's against a Baylor front seven that along the defensive line is certainly stronger than what Oregon's going to roll out this week. And they weren't able to get enough pressure on him to really rattle him. And his final stat line, he was 23 of 39, 261 yards and a touchdown with no interceptions. That's against a team that in theory would be pretty good at, at getting some pressure on the quarterback, whether you're rushing for or blitzing extra guys. And Oregon this year, we know they have not been. And, and if that doesn't happen, I, I do not like Oregon's chances to slow the offense down. How Oregon performs against the defense, different matter. Because Baylor's offense is not top tier. Uh, they're a defensively oriented team. That's uh, where Dave Aranda comes from. He was the defensive coordinator on that LSU national championship team with Joe Burrow. Um, and their offense has always had to do just enough. And their defense has been kind of what, what has won them games. And their offense didn't execute. Guy missed an extra point, so it was 20-20 going uh, into overtime or else Baylor wins that game. And, and their offense just wasn't quite able to execute. They were trying to just, you know, run the ball and be physical. They weren't slinging around a, a ton. And, look, if Oregon keeps BYU under 24 points, I think they win the game solidly. I think you can put up 30 or so points on this defense, but I just don't know if Oregon – with the personnel that they've got and the way that they've played are going to be able to do that. It's just asking a lot. And, and BYU's defense is not to be slept on. They've held both their opponents so far, South Florida and Baylor to under 300 total yards of offense, which is really impressive. But on tomorrow's show, I'll be talking with Jake Hatch of locked on BYU. When I, when I spoke with him before the season and we did kind of a preview of every one of Oregon's games, he talked about how the defense is not something that is necessarily leading the team, but I'll be interested to to get his thoughts on how he thinks they've performed so far. Cause you, you got a group of five and a power five top 10 opponent at the time that you've held under 300 yards from the defensive side of the ball for an entire game. I have to imagine that makes defensive head coach feel pretty darn good. And Baylor ran it for under three yards of carry and just 152 yards last Saturday in, in Provo. I expect Oregon to be well above those numbers. I think they can be closer to 200 yards and, you know, around four yards of carry with this offensive line because they've performed uh, very, very well, but they might be without one of the guys who was starting for the first two games. And that's Steven Jones. Now, these are the latest reports as I record this episode on Tuesday night. So things are subject to change and we're going to await official word and monitor these uh, these early reports as as they go on throughout the week. But Stephen Jones has not been practicing, and Jackson Powers Johnson and Dawson Jaramillo are both guys who are prime candidates to fill in for him. But Ryan Walk has also been back at practice. So if Stephen Jones isn't able to go, maybe you see Marcus Harper slide in there at right guard, who I think has done a, a solid job uh, filling in for Ryan Walk at, at guard at, at this point in time. But there could be a lot of offensive line shuffling. Maybe you move TJ Bass back inside to guard and you put Jeremillo at tackle, or maybe Josh Connerly's ready to play. I don't know. Like that's 
definitely something to follow when you're missing one of your five starting offensive linemen so far up front. But I, I felt that Oregon's offensive lines perform well so far, and they've been uh, without Ryan Walk in, in the first two games, and he's he's really good. So preseason All-Pac-12 honorable mention, uh, if memory serves, and a guy who's just been a staple on that really good offensive line for the last few years. Um, but the other injury, and this is... There's no official word on what it is, how serious it is, whether or not it even necessarily is an injury, but Justin Flo was not at practice today, Tuesday. So you would just it would just sting a lot, and Noah Sewell would have to step up big time. But in terms of who would actually play in Flo's absence, right? Sewell would have to step up from a production standpoint, but I think Keith Brown has seen the field a good amount. Jackson LaDuke has been out there. He's he struggled at times, and he's not great playing in space. But really, I think you're going to see a revolving door if, God forbid, Flo is not able to go. I pray he's able to because he's so good every time he plays. And you just hate for a guy to have a third season just completely marred by injuries. So hopefully it's nothing serious and just precautionary. We're going to wait on, on official reports. but. That's something we got to be aware of because whether it would be LaDuke or Keith Brown or one of the freshmen, not quite as likely most in, in most circumstances, I, I would guess. Jeffrey Boss will probably be in there a, a good amount. And again, that, that I think is going to depend on what the situation calls for. If you've got third and two and you're expecting the run, you're probably going to put Keith Brown out there. But if you're on third and seven or eight and you know they're going to have to go to the air with Jaron Hall then yeah maybe you're sliding in Bossa as the other linebacker in in a 4-2-5 uh, personnel which is what Oregon's been primarily running this year um so hopefully it's hopefully Flo's able to go I I just I'd feel better about Flo being there I already have questions about Oregon's defense and I I don't know where the pass rush is going to come from it needs to come from somewhere and it has to be even better than than what we even think they're capable of because Baylor was getting some decent pressure on Jaron Hall and it just doesn't rattle him he just stands in there he feels the pressure coming knows where he's going to go with the football and he's got the arm talent to be able to sit back there and sling it he's a really really good player and I think that that is uh, the biggest, probably the biggest concern I've got going into this BYU game is how, how do we get after Jaron Hall? Tomorrow we'll be talking with Jake Hatch of Locked On BYU to preview this matchup in its entirety. So make sure you like and subscribe if you have not already. I appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.